0: So we ended our series last week uh, called "I Deserve It," and everyone said, "Aw, <laughs> I hope you know." Oh, you know, Pastor Brian, we just appreciate the effort you put into these series and these sermons, and 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 oh, we're sorry to see it go. It really helped. Oh, thank you, church. I appreciate you saying that. I pray that that series did help you uh, realize that God has things for you, and and you don't get what you deserve. Thankfully. But we're moving on to a standalone message this morning, and I've entitled this message, "Remember Me." And as you can see, it's Communion Sunday. And I, I came to Christ in my 20s and virtually had, had virtually no reference or experience uh, as to how communion was to be done, to, be, to happen. I really didn't have that frame of reference to say, "Oh, this is communion time. I hadn't really set foot in a church setting ever in my life until my 20s. So I didn't know how this was supposed to go. Uh, I learned traditionally that, that we pass, pass the elements. We pass the plates around with the elements and and much like we do here. And well, I thought that's kind of how it was supposed to be done, right? Well, this morning you're going to get a little lesson in communion and, and I hope you'll strap in. Maybe you'll get some fresh revelation from God as to what this actually means. Why do we do what we do? Uh, I had a pastor one time that would serve communion by way of intinction. Everybody say intinction. Very good, very good. Intinction... If, has anybody ever experienced communion by intinction? Maybe you didn't know that's what it was called, but, but it's when, the, when, the, when they get the bread and they dip it in the cup. They dip the bread in the cup. Everyone would come forward and there would be a big chalice or a big cup and everyone would get their own piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Don't get your fingers in that cup. Just dip gently. Of course, you'd have sister so-and-so who would go bloink right in. And, you know, but that's the way it went sometimes, Intinction. And then uh, the, the, you would kind of get a two-for-one deal on that, right? You dip the bread in the wine or in the, in the juice, and you get a two-for-one. And you, you partake that way. That kind of messed me up a little bit. I'm like, what are we doing? I mean, I was like on the worship, the worship leader there, and my pastor said, this is what we're doing. I said, well, okay, we're, we'll go with it. And then you get real messed up. You go to a Catholic church, right? And everyone forms a single line. And, and when you get down, down in front, you put your hands behind your back, right? And you open your mouth. This is the way it is. Some Catholic brothers and sisters say, "Amen." This is the way it goes. You go in and you, and you're not touching anything. And the priest puts it in your mouth. And I mean, when I saw that happen, I almost lost my mind. I mean, what? And then you go to an old school church, maybe an old school Methodist church, and it's done where that, um, that, that they had one cup that they, yeah, that they'd share, right? You all know what I mean, you. One cup, and everyone put their lips on that same cup. And they'd all, my mama taught me, you don't share the same juice box with the other kids. And then you go to a Lutheran church, and they take it every Sunday. If you know anything about Martin Luther and his history, do your homework. They take it every single Sunday in a Lutheran church. Well, that, that's way too much. And then you may go to a Coptic church, and they take it once a quarter. I'm pretty sure they're going to hell, because according to Lutherans, you've got to take it every week. Once a quarter. And then people call communion different things, right? And I knew communion. I knew that word for sure. You know, my friends had done their first Holy Communion, so I knew what the word was. But I never heard the, the term the Lord's Supper before. I'd never heard that. The Lord's Table I've heard, you know, that's another one. The Eucharist is one. The sacraments, ordinances. Uh, this is the one of the most diversified practices in the body of Christ. But despite our diversity, you know, how we take it, when we take it, whether it's grape juice or real wine, or whether you dip, or it's placed on your tongue, or you drink from the same cup. (laughs) The reality is that this table has one message. No matter how differently we practice it, it's always that says the same thing. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is clear that whenever we as Christians gather together, that part of our identity... Part of something that Christians and Christians alone participate in is the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. Because in that act, we are proclaiming something. We are saying something. And we are also remembering something. The Apostle Paul says, As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes again. The reason... We take the bread and drink the cup because it says something. It says something that we need to remember that we too often forget. This is not just some empty ritual, and I pray that it's not for you. It's not just some regular, you know, once a quarter, once a sun, once a month Sunday thing, observance. This is a reminder of a message that we often forget and we need to hear time and time and time again. What is the message Of the table. Go back to when Jesus first instituted this with his disciples. It's Thursday of Holy Week. It's a few hours before his arrest and his trial and crucifixion. It's Thursday and in a few hours Jesus is going to be dead. And knowing that his death is imminent. Knowing that it's right around the corner. He tells his disciples to go and get a reservation at a room because we need some time together. There are some things that I've got to tell you. I'm about to leave here, and there, these are our last moments together. And, and imagine how precious this moment is going to be, this last time they will see Jesus before he dies. And Jesus says, I've got to tell you some things. I need to give you your last lesson. I need to, I need to make certain you understand what my life is all about. Because you all know that sometimes the disciples were a bit remedial. Sometimes they were a bit dim." Sometimes they didn't get it not entirely their fault. Sometimes Jesus spoke in these parables and they were like, what is he saying? But he says, I need you to understand. I need to make this crystal clear. Let's go to this upper room. So when they get into the upper room, Jesus has a couple conversations with his disciples. one is about the Lord's Supper. He takes the bread and he breaks it and blesses it and gives that. And I preached a sermon a long time ago, if any remember, about being, being broken, being blessed. And then Jesus giving us to the world. And what the bread symbolizes. And I don't have time to go into all that this morning. But he says, this is my body. And he takes the bread and then he takes the cup and he says, drink from this. This is my blood. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. But before the bread and before the cup, he has another, another conversation that goes kind of like this. One of you is going to betray me. Jesus has gathered his disciples in an upper room with moments to spare. It's a critical time. And what he needs them to know is, one of you is going to betray me. One of you has followed me, and now you're going to fail me. One of you has called yourself a disciple, And it's going to mess up in a way that history will never forgive. You're about to do something that will scar you for the rest of your life. You're about to make a life-altering choice. One of you will betray me. Now you and I know what the apostles in the room didn't know, right? You and I know that it was, say together, who it was? Judas, right. We know before they get to the upper room that it's Jews, Judas that's going to betray him because we have the benefit of a literary device that the biblical writers employed call dramatic irony. And dramatic irony is when a writer gives you the information as a reader that the characters in the story don't know yet. So That's dramatic irony. You know something that the characters in the story don't know yet. When you have information that they don't have yet, like... <laughs> Like when, you, like when you see a movie. It's like, remember the movie, who remembers, who's old enough in here to remember the movie Old Yeller? Right? Old Yeller. Remember Old Yeller? The internet describes Old Yeller this way. While Jim Coates is off on a cattle drive, his wife Katie and sons, Travis and Arliss, are left behind on their Texas ranch. When a runaway dog named Old Yeller causes damage in one of their fields, Travis tries to drive him away. However, Travis and Katie both warm to Old Yeller when he saves Arliss from a bear attack. And as Travis and the brave and faithful dog grow closer, concerns grow about an outbreak of rabies, and it stops there. What it doesn't say is the fact that you already know. The fact that Old Yeller isn't going to make it. Old Yeller's going to die. And even though all the other characters don't know that yet, that's dramatic irony. You know something that they don't know. So dramatic irony is at play here with Judas. Because every time Judas is introduced in Scripture, his name has a comma after it. The one who betrayed Jesus. Judas, comma. the one who betrayed Jesus, by the way. When Jesus first picks the disciples, this is before any of this. We get a listing of their names, and it reads like this. Peter and Andrew, James and John and Matthew, and Thaddeus and Bartholomew, and as always, last, Judah, the one who betrayed Jesus. There's a comma after his name. And it's a sad thing when you can do something in life that causes Christians to put a comma after your name. And you're eternally identified by a mistake that you have made. So we know Judas is the betrayer. Judas. Jesus knows that Judas is the betrayer. So we know and Jesus knows. Watch what happens. They go to the upper room. Jesus invites Judas to come to the table. I want to make sure you get all this. Jesus invites Judas to come to the table. Jesus knows what he's up to. And the Lord invites him to the table anyway. Hear that. Jesus knows that he's no good. That he's about to drop the ball. He's not going to live up to the calling of a disciple. And yet he's invited to sit at the table anyway. Now the reason you haven't shouted amen is because you've forgotten that in the Bible when you sit at a table with someone, that's really saying something. When you sit at a table, when you're in fellowship with someone, you sit at a table with your friends, you sit at a table. When you're working stuff out, you sit at a table. when When there's no hostility, you can sit at a table. And Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees, remember, because they said he's always sitting at the table with the wrong folks. The sinners, the prostitutes, the thieves. Here he is in the upper room knowing full well what Jesus is about. And yet Judas has invited him to sit at the table anyway. Because the table reminds us of this. Good night, my slides are out of order. I need the grace slide. The table reminds us that grace creates space for people like Judas. Grace creates space for people like Judas. I'm going to go back and read the scripture now. Sorry, Wes. Thank you. If you have your Bible, let's go back to the scripture in Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to see how all of this this situation is going to unfold. But we're going to read through the entire passage. And then we'll break this down, that grace creates space. If you would stand this morning for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, well, what I'm about to tell you is true. One of you will hand me over to my enemies. The disciples became very sad. One after the other, they began to say to him, it's not I, Lord, is it? Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will hand me over. The Son of Man will go, just as, as it is written about him. But how terrible it will be for the one who hands over the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Some strong words by Jesus. Judas was the one who was going to hand him over. He even said, oh, it's not I, Rabbi, is it? Remember, Judas arranged all this the night before. And Judas is sitting there at the table and saying, oh, it's not me, right? Judas, and, and we, give, we give Judas a bad rap. Judas may not have even known the ramifications. Judas was a money man, right? Judas was the, was the one who held the money back. Judas might have been doing it just for the money, not even fully understanding the sin that he was actually committing. I give Judas a little bit of a little bit of leeway in that he may not have known because this statement said it's not me, is it? Judas, don't you know what you did last night? You arraigned. He may have not known. Not me, is it? But then Jesus looks at him and he says, "It's you." While they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He handed it to his disciples and said, "Take this and eat. This is my body." And then he took the cup. And he gave thanks and he handed it to them and he said, all of you, catch that, all of you drink from it. This is my blood of the new covenant. This is where forgiveness happens through my blood. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Here is what I tell you. From now on, I won't drink wine with you again until the day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. This is it, fellas. And then they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Grace creates space. For the unworthy, y'all may be seated. Almost left you standing. Boy, if we stood for the rest of the service... I'd be blessed. Grace creates space for the unworthy to be in relationship with God. Make sure you catch that, that that this table proclaims grace creates space for the unworthy to be in relationship with God with God that when I'm not worthy when I haven't lived up to what God's calling was when I haven't lived right as the old testament or the old saints would say when I'm not what I ought to be this table reminds me that God calls me to sit at the table and to be reconciled to him and be in relationship with him remember he said that they all drank come here brother Judas come here sister Judas The good news of the table is that God's grace, the grace of Jesus, is greater than your sin. Love outweighs your mistakes. There is time and room for forgiveness. God's goodness is better than you deserve. Grace invites the unworthy to sit at the table. It's an invitation. You see that played out with Judas. He knew. Jesus knew and Judas knew. And yet Jesus says, come to the table. Jesus invites the unworthy to sit at the table with him. And there's somebody here today you can say amen because you know that God has brought you to some tables. That you have no business sitting at. God has blessed you and put you in a job that's been, that's been good to you. you. You have no business going to that office. God has blessed you with some children that you have no business watching them, be, the privilege of watching them grow before your eyes. God has graced you and blessed you with that because of Grace. And some people in this room would say, you know what, I am where I am today, not because I earned it, not because I'm so good, not because I'm so smart, not because I'm so connected, but grace brought me to a place that I could not get to by myself. And I thank God, it's grace. The table reminds us that the unworthy are invited to the table. Now watch what happens. Jesus brings him into the room, and Jesus announces the betrayal, but he never identifies the betrayer to the rest of the disciples. He doesn't say, Judas is going to betray me. What he says at first is, one of you will betray me. He never points Judas out. He never says, you, Judas, until Judas comes to him. He says, is it me? He identifies that he's going to be betrayed at first, but he never calls out who's going to do it. He never makes the announcement at first. Hey guys, Judas is going to betray me. And let me tell you why I love my God so much. I mean, I don't know about your relationship with God, but I love him so much. What I found out that really makes me shout and really makes me praise him even more Is that there are some things that God knows about me and some things that God knows about you that God has never exposed to anybody else. You settled it privately with those you needed to, or you settled it privately with God, and that's what matters. I'm so glad we got a God that takes care of business personally and covers some other things so that the world doesn't have to see all your problems. You need to deal with it with God personally. God keeps some stuff in your life from going public. But it's settled between you and Him. It's settled. Is there anyone here this morning that's grateful for a God that didn't expose your sins to anyone but Him? You know how I can identify that in in a crowd I, how I can identify people that God has protected, that have, that have settled things with God, and, and the rest of us might not know all of the sins that the people deal with. You know how I can pe- spot those people out? Because every now and then, without any warning or any connectivity to what's going on in worship, they just stand up and they start praising God. People just, their hands go up and they just start spinning around. I don't know. They do whatever and they shout aloud, amen, and it seems random. And, and you know, you're going to get nosy and you're going to look at them like, what's with this person? You know, why are, you're going to ask them, why are you praising in your hands? What's this, what are you so happy about? And you know what they'll tell you? It's none of your business. I settled it with God, and that settles it, and that's it. And whenever you praise God in a way where you're not going to tell anybody why, because you know God has protected you, you know, I thank God every single day. Jesus says, listen, one of you will betray me. He announces that to the disciples. And watch what happens. He says, It says in the Bible that every disciple asks Jesus the same question. Is it I? Watch it play out. One of you will betray me. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. The table that Jesus invites his disciples to when he announces the betrayal. Here's what it does. It triggers self examination these disciples they all begin to look at themselves they have been following jesus walking with jesus you know peter my goodness he was right there peter's a gangster he know when 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 the when the when the can i appreciate for a minute when the when the guy came and 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 wanted to come at jesus and peter took out a switchblade and cut the guy's ear remember that Remember that? There was a time when the guy came and he was going to seize Jesus and, and, and Peter would have none of it. I mean, this guy was dedicated. He was all in. And yet we heard a couple of weeks ago about how Peter doubted and he had his time. But the point is that when they get into this place where Jesus says, one of you betray me, they're sitting at the table and they all begin to question, hey, we're all in, but is it me? What? Self-examination. The table is is an invitation to examine your own life. That's why Paul says, Examine yourselves. The table, the situation, the scene that Jesus is in with all these disciples who were all in, right? And there are people sitting in this room that are all in with Jesus. And yet he says, One of you will betray me. And they all say, Before the table, they all say, Okay, hold on, is it me? Is it I? Every saint needs a spiritual MRI. Moments when you're not judging someone else's walk, but when you're looking over your own life. The table is an invitation to self-examination. And then that leads to self-conviction. A word that we don't hear a lot in the church today. Conviction self-examination leads to self-conviction because what will change your life quicker than anything is self-conviction not external judgment but self-conviction one of the signs that you're growing in christ and that you're you're moving forward in your walk with him is is listening to the holy spirit And not that you can pray with eloquent eloquent words, not that you can memorize Scripture, and not that you haven't missed church in four weeks, but the Holy Spirit can convict you of your own sinfulness, and you become aware of when your life is strayed outside the will of God. And the sign of the Holy Spirit in your life isn't your loud amens or your shouts of praise. It's your awareness that you've messed up. And the self-conviction that happens after self-examination. And where did this all happen in the scriptures? At the table. At the table. So Jesus is saying to these fellas, this is the last time you're going to drink and you're going to eat with me. And what I want you to do is some self-examination. Self-examination. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what happens at the table. Self-examination. Grace will give you space. You come to him with all that you are. And I don't mean to say that's a boastful thing. It's not that. It's not, I come to you, Lord, with all that I am and have to offer. No, no, no. It's quite the opposite. You're saying, Lord, this is all there is. This is all I got. And I come to you. And you come to the table. And you do some self examination like what was happening in that upper room that day take that spiritual mri really 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 do some digging and lord see if there is anything in me that needs to be made right with you self examination at the table i think our the manual in the church of the nazarene has written One of the most beautiful sections on communion. And I'd like to read that to you this morning. Before we partake. Before the gentlemen even come forward to help us out this morning. It says this. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the sacrament. Which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection. And the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. And I read that paragraph for the pre- preparing for this time. And it shows forth the Lord's death until his return. And I thought about the scripture that we read when Jesus said, this is the last time. You aren't, you're not going to do this until you see me again in my father's house. It goes on and says the supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in a reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. Here's the self-examination part. And all those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins... And believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. In unity with the church, we confess our faith Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Isn't that beautiful? I've asked some gentlemen to come help uh, distribute the elements. If you would just stay seated where you are as these gentlemen would come. And we'll get the elements passed out this morning. Listen, this church and your pastor is well aware of what's going on and what's being blown way out of proportion in the press right now. Did I say that out loud? And I hope you take this communion this morning. As the gentlemen pass out the elements, would you please hold the elements until all have received? Gentlemen, if you begin, oh, you're already ahead of it. not a lot of eloquent words to be said there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance around the table it's a time for self-examination it's a sacred reverent time And what I just read, that it it says that it's a means of grace. And when I say a means of grace, I mean that it's a way that you can come to realize the grace of Christ. The grace of God is available to you. It's a way, it's a means. It's a way to get there. Just when you think you have it all figured out. Parents, I put this responsibility on you as I say every time that if you deem your children are ready to receive this communion this morning, awesome. Give them a thumbs up. It's all good to go. Now, you Use your ju- judgment. Parents, be parents. And we'll pass the elements around the front. Is everyone received in the back? Still going, still going? Take some time for that self-examination and that sacred moment. With the elements in your hands, bow your heads if you would. With the elements physically in your hands. I don't often do this, but just pause one moment. If there are any gluten free folks, you taking care of? You need, you do? Okay, I'll take care of that. sensitivities we good I don't often do this as I was saying but I would like to read this prayer this morning it's deep and it's meaningful would you pray with me bow your heads In the spirit of self-examination with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. So we can really examine ourselves as to what's happening here in this room right now. We pray. Holy God, we gather at this Your table in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who by Your Spirit was anointed to preach the good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established a new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of His coming again. On the night that He was betrayed, He took bread and gave thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to His disciples and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, He took the cup and He gave thanks And gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, do this in remembrance of me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we gather God as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, O God, and on these, your gifts, Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. And amen. If you take the elements before you. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was broken for you. Preserve you blameless. Unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And be thankful. Go ahead and partake. Be thankful thank him church and we take the cup this morning the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you preserve you blameless unto everlasting life drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful let us partake in the cup prayer is that God has revealed some new truths through his word this morning, through the message that you've heard, new truths about this table, and when we come to this table, what's going on and what was happening that last time that Jesus shared this meal with his disciples. We'll close with a word of prayer this morning. Would you bow your heads? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, no one looking around. We've heard enough this morning in our lives to be accountable for when we stand before God. We've heard enough this morning. And so as we go into this final prayer for this morning, we spoke about self-examination. Doing that spiritual MRI and taking some time to examine yourself. And I'll pull the Dr. Phil line when we're in this sensitive moment. How's that working out for you? How's that self-examination working out for you? When you take this time, sacred time of prayer, as we do at the end of every service, you have an opportunity before you this morning to walk out of here different than when you came in. Jesus invites you to sit at His table. He invites you to sup with Him, as the Bible says. He invites you to come in. Regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, regardless of any of that stuff, Jesus invites you to the table For forgiveness. And to be brought into right relationship with Him. So as we pray this morning. Do that self-examination. Sit right where you are. Don't be distracted by what's going on. Bow your head, close your eyes and pray. Father, we are thankful, Lord. For the table of grace and mercy. We're thankful, Lord, that you invite us to the table. A sinner such as I, Lord, you invite to the table. The table of grace and forgiveness. God, we needn't carry this burden around anymore. We can be forgiven, Lord, by sitting at the table with you. Confessing our sin and trusting in you, Jesus, and walking with you all the days of our lives. And so, Father, as we bow together as a church body, as a family, and, Father, as the leader of this flock, this morning I would like to give invitation. Give an invitation to that one individual that may be here this morning that needs the message of the table. More importantly, the message of the table. Fast forward to the message of the cross. One and the same message, Lord, that says there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And that you bled and suffered and died on the cross for the sin and punishment that we deserve in our place. You took it on. And that, Lord, if we believe on that and that you raised again on the third day and you invite us into a relationship with you, God, we will be saved. Your word says it's very clear. And so, Father, we don't want to mince words or tarry very long this morning. But, God, you extend that invitation to every person who's come this morning. Everyone that's come in this room, Lord, has the invitation. And if that's you this morning with head bowed and eyes closed, no one wants to embarrass you or looking around. If that's you this morning that says, I need this relationship, this forgiveness that Jesus offers. If that's you this morning that says, right where I sit, I'd like to receive Jesus this morning. I need Him. I would extend that invitation this morning. And invite you to follow Christ. So if that's you this morning, I just ask that you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I've done this self-examination this morning and I need this Jesus that you spoke of and I need to dine at His table. And I need to serve Him all of the days of my life. He invites you regardless of what you've done. He invites you in relationship with him if you say that's me raise your hand right where you are and say pastor that's me this morning amen i need that jesus amen amen to see you amen father you've seen the hands that were raised this morning that want relationship with you more than anything Father, I pray that you would meet the needs of those individuals that have had the courage to say, that's me this morning. God, would you walk with them? God, would you put people in their lives, Lord? That would minister to them, that would bring them along, God? I praise you, Lord, that people have walked in and they're going to leave here differently this morning. They have met with the Son of God and experienced a little bit of His holiness this morning. And God, we thank You for meeting us right where we are. And Regardless of what sin is in our life, regardless of how far we've been from You, Lord, there is always reconciliation when we come to the table. There is always life and forgiveness, Lord, when we come to the table and to the cross. I thank You in advance, Lord, for what You're about to do. In these individuals' lives and in our church and in our lives, Lord. Now go with us as we leave this place, Lord. May we not depart from your presence. We will serve you. We love you. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Before you start talking and visiting, uh, for any of those that have had the courage to raise your hand this morning, uh, make sure we get your information. This is how it works. I've had several people ask, what happens to those folks after they do that? Well, here's what happens. They get a phone call from yours truly the very next day. And then we follow up with them. And we offer individual discipleship classes. Or not classes. We get together and and bring you along in the faith. Individually, personally. You can come to to other meetings throughout the week in the church. There are things that we do for follow-up at the end of every service. Things that we do the next day and the next couple days. Just so you know. That's what's going to happen. We'll be contacting you. And we'll be talking to you about your decision to follow Christ in the days ahead. Make sure we get your information before you leave today. All right? All right. You are dismissed.